1: And what's up? Welcome in. I am Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. This is GC Live Monday episode of the show as we talk about your Gamecocks as we do every single weekday. Of course, we are brought to you by our good friend Clint Hammond. He is our presenting sponsor of every single GC Live show. ClintHammond.com is how you can get more information about Clint. 803-771-6933 is the phone number that you see right there on your screen if you're watching on the video version of the show, we're, of course, on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just type in Gamecock Central on any of those platforms. Uh, but there you see Clint, the branch manager of the Columbia Mortgage Network. NMLS number is 71597. And C. Hammond, that's the letter C, Hammond, H-A-M-M-O-N-D, at mortgage mortgagenetwork.com is Clint's email. If you're in the market for a new home or maybe you just want to see what options you might have out there, to refinance and save a little bit of money per month Then uh, give Clint a shout because that's what I did, and uh, he helped me out. We're going to talk Gamecock football, of course. We're going to take your questions as we dive in and try to make sense of South Carolina's 45-20 to 20 loss in Knoxville this past Saturday afternoon. First, I do want to give a shout-out, Chris, to uh, Jaheem Bell uh, for those who are not on here. Actually, there was some carryover, but it wasn't It wasn't necessarily the entire same crowd. Um, some of the folks that are, that are on GC Live are also on there. If you missed it, you can actually go watch it on our YouTube, or it's, uh, it's not uploaded yet, by the way, but it will be on the podcast platform um, this afternoon. We had Jaheen Bell with our first ever, uh, we were the exclusive hosts, I guess you would say, of uh, Firehouse Subs Lunch with Jaheem Bell. Uh, we are, were able to chat with Jaheim for for about an hour. Uh, thanks to Firehouse Subs, man, that that was fun. Like that was really fun just to be able to you know sit down and um, and chat with Jaheim. Chris, I, I know you uh, you had Friday's show off, but you saw we had um, we had Jake from the J Boy Show on, and he yep. was talking about how fun it's been for him to be able to have some guys on just in a more relaxed setting. And it's been really, really good for his show. And
0: uh, I, I thought that was awesome. That that was, man. And this has been cool. You know, the name, image, likeness era, I think, is cool for so many reasons. The the top one is that players, college players, finally have the ability to do what everybody else in the world can do. <laughs> and that is to uh, have the opportunity to cash in and make money off of their name, image, and likeness. And It also opens up some cool avenues from a content standpoint. So just like Jake Crane from the J-Boy Show said on Friday here on GC Live West, I mean, it's it's cool to get them in this setting because, you know, when you get guys on a Zoom or when you get guys now we're able to get them in the press room again. But you're kind of in this theater setting. For those of you who've never been in the room, you're down there at this podium, which is already intimidating you know, potentially. And then you're you're looking up at this assembled crowd and you know, that type of thing. And so it's a little bit more relaxed. And we had a longer period of time. Well, we talked to Jaheem for almost an hour, Wes. And so we're able to hit on not just, hey, break down what happened on Saturday or house practice going a lot of sort of the things that you hear during regular play and player media sessions. We're able to look back at his recruitment and talk about some off field stuff and get him joking around about his teammates a little bit. And so it was definitely neat. It was fun. We appreciate Jaheem doing it. Appreciate Firehouse doing it. It was a good time. And hopefully we can uh we can do more of it in the future.
1: Yeah, the dude, the sort of I would say press conference official setting type stuff, it, there's almost a sense sometimes of like that the media, I'm sure for players is kind of against you. Like you're 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 on guard at all times. You know, like you're like, uh oh, what what, is, what are they trying to get me to say? Um, I feel like this is just a lot more relaxed. And uh, and he, he talked openly. I, I thought, um, you know, the the bloody Tuesdays thing, like Tuesday is the, the toughest day of the week for the guys. That was fun. Um, him talking about some – the best basketball players on the team putting together a starting five. That's – you know, you may get one, one of those per press conference where you get a, a cool little nugget like that. But um, – Most press conferences, you're not getting that. So so that was awesome. Certainly hope we can be involved, um, you know, with with Jaheim on some stuff in the future and with with some other players as well. Let's get into the game, man. A a very – I mean, this has been the word of the year. It's been a weird – there's been some weird games this year, man. That was another weird one. And, you know, Chris, I I think hard to sort of uh, maybe put into words the – Sort of, you're you're looking at like one end of the spectrum with the way South Carolina started, and then another end with with the fact that, um, as Beamer pointed out, he he went very positive on, on Sunday his teleconference, and the the fact that clearly South Carolina got just absolutely outmatched for the first quarter of this game, and uh, and really the first quarter and a half, you look at you know, at after four possessions each. South Carolina's down twenty-eight to nothing. Um, there, there's no way to spend that. They're down twenty-eight to nothing. You, you, you got beat up and down the field on, and you know, do you do you put it on offense? Do you put it on defense? But all the blame can just go around on, on that, in my opinion. Then the other side is that um, they did battle. I think there are a lot of teams, and some people roll their eyes. That's fine. I don't care. There are a lot of teams, Chris, I believe would have just gone through the motions um, after that point. They they didn't. They they fought back. I, I don't know if a team's ever come to come back from a 35 to nothing deficit in the history of college football. They kept fighting anyway. Um I think the most frustrating part maybe for South Carolina fans, to me, Chris, the running game looked as good as it has all year, considering the opponent. I took out the sacks and the sack yardage. 4.6 yards of carry. I mean, and not, not really smoke and mirrors, like actually lining up and running the football. Um, but they were already so far down that, uh, you know, it, it didn't necessarily matter. So I, I don't know, man, I'm, I feel like I could just sit here and ramble about this game for the next 45 minutes. So, so save me, tell me, tell me what you thought of the game.
0: Well, you're exactly right. That, that was the frustrating part. So, a lot of people are going to say don't there's absolutely nothing positive from a performance like that don't take anything away from it but you know when you lose 45-20 when you're down 28 nothing when you're down 35 nothing you know it's negative right that's a large i say negative result and and it's right it's a loss what we saw in the first half was pretty bad you know offensively and defensively right but there are some things to still talk about again another kind of word of the day, word of the week here for us, Wes, nuance, we have to have some of it on the show. And so we are going to talk about the negative for sure. For those that want to hear about it, we'll talk about some positives. There were some in the game Um, and where things can go from here. You know, can it improve particularly offensively? I think all those things are important to talk about. You know, it, it is frustrating to see the team play better in the second half and say, why can't they play that way in the first half? We talked about adjustments. They made some defensive adjustments. They played much better in the second half. Why didn't they just do that in the first half? Well, it is, it's an adjustment, right? That's That kind of matches the term. Um, but they got off to a poor start. I mean, you give up four straight touchdowns. You can't do that and expect to win. Um, and then offensively, and this was part of the problem even, it carried over kind of defense when you talk about complementary football. Offensively, they couldn't sustain drives. Um, so it was kind of a, a perfect storm of bad for South Carolina at the beginning of the game. Going in, Wes, and I picked, let's see, I what was your final score prediction? Mine was thirty-one twenty.
1: I think so we had I actually, the exact same score.
0: Really? Okay. So I think we were both thinking the same thing there, and that was, you know, Tennessee's going to get theirs because this was a bad matchup going in. If you look at sometimes in football, it's not just about which team has the most talent. You know, when you're saying, well, is Kentucky, a, uh, you know, more likely win than Tennessee or vice versa? Kentucky probably has more offensive talent than Tennessee right now, but it's a better matchup for South Carolina because of what they do. Tennessee, what they do, was going to, I think, stress South Carolina in the areas that they've been deficient in, linebacker playing in the flats on the perimeter. Um, secondary, some deep shots and things like that. We saw all that happen, and we saw it all happen to a very bad extent in that first quarter on those first several drives. And then I didn't think South Carolina would be able to score enough to keep up, and, and that kind of did end up coming to fruition. One of the, you know, touchdowns, of course, was a special team score. So, you know, there were some positives with, within the game. The defense ended up playing better. The special teams was excellent again. but offensively. It was the same stuff, you know, the same story. Inconsistent penalties, fumbled snap, um, another fumbled snap that led to a busted play, too many negative plays, uh, too, way too many third and longs because of certain things. I think it was just a lot of the same things we've seen that's illustrated that this offense has not taken big enough of a step forward, you know, to feel confident about this team going forward.
1: SC Scout guy asked um how Tennessee's run defense was coming into the game. They statistically they were, they were pretty solid. Like they this is not a Tennessee defense that you know is is like a Georgia level defense by any means. They the, the transfer portal hit them on on all sides of their team. Um so but but coming into this game as far as how they had played through five games, um Absolutely, to me, on, on paper, it looked like a terrible matchup for South Carolina's running game. I didn't expect them to have much success based on what we saw the first five games, based on what we saw against Troy, and based on what we had seen from Tennessee's run defense. This, guys, frankly, is the first time I have seen South Carolina's offense, without it really being smoke and mirrors, actually line up and have some success with the running game to, to an extent of... I was like, man, that looked a little bit like some of the stuff we saw last year, as far as just um, churning out yardage. Well, uh, you know, to me, Chris, the, the issue for South Carolina, first and foremost, I think they came into the game not thinking they may be able to run the ball, so they were very pass heavy at the beginning, and which you can you can kind of you can see why that would be the case. But to me, it was the inability to stop the bleeding early on. Um, they have been they've been down now. I, I, I called Tennessee sort of a measuring stick game. I don't even know if you know Tennessee was a double digit favorite. I don't even know if you call it a toss up game anymore. Coming into the year, it was maybe a toss up. I called it more of a measuring stick. Like where where are you? I think we all know South Carolina is above Vandy in the east. Um
0: We're I all find we, out Saturday, right?
1: They, yeah, and then South Carolina right. will win this game. We'll get the first; they'll get the first SEC win of the year. They'll beat Vandy, and we all know South Carolina is obviously below Georgia. Um, you know, in the pecking order, below Florida. Uh, you know, Kentucky has a win over them. They're six and zero right now. So, but point being, you know, South Carolina is in the in the middle. But, and I've talked about this before. Right now, as a program, is South Carolina just you know above Vandy? Or are they sort of closer to the middle in the east? So that, that's what I looked at. It's a measuring stick type game for South Carolina. Well, in the measuring stick games, Tennessee, Kentucky, ECU on the road even maybe. Down 14 to nothing at ECU. Um, down 10 to nothing to Kentucky with no points at the half. And we're down 7 to nothing after the first drive against Kentucky. But then settled in, at least defensively, settled in pretty well. And of course, down you know thirty-five at Tennessee. So in in your your measuring stick type games, you've just been fighting from behind. That's no way to live, man. You can't like if you if you took the best offense in college football history, and you said you're going to start the game down thirty-five to nothing. Yeah, go come back. It's it's not happening. So to me, part of the story of the game was just not, you know, four, four drives in is twenty eight nothing before any before anything gets going. Not being able to score the touchdown down at the goal line on the uh, the halfback <laughs> defensive end pass, um, which would have made it fourteen to seven. Again, nobody on this show I don't think is saying South Carolina wins the game if they score there. But it changes the entire complexion of the game and the momentum of the game if you score there. Not being able to get off the field on one of those third downs during that stretch, because if if everything goes bad for you, but you're down twenty eight to seven, everybody's still everybody on Twitter is still pissed off. <laughs> everybody on the sideline is saying this is a terrible start, but. The game isn't over. Right. If you're down 35 nothing, by all intents and purposes, the game is over. So, and again, I'll give the guys all the credit in the world for not just going through the motions. They, You can see they tried. Like, they they stayed in there. They, they left it all out there. But, to me, just not being able to stop the bleeding early on took away any chance to actually be able to come back and, and win the game.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think there were a few critical points like that in the game. And that is, look, nobody wants to hear about like positives from the game and say, well, that sounds like a moral victory that the guys didn't quit. But you know, what what if what if Wes we were sitting here today and we were six games into the beamer tenure and it looked like on Saturday after they got down by by that much that the effort slipped, right? That would be a huge storyline. Because then people would be saying, The team's already quit. You know, there'd be all sorts of things. Okay, so might say, well, that's not supposed to happen, but it does. I mean, we saw Missouri against Tennessee, similar situation. They got down in a hurry. The game looked pretty much over by the first quarter, and Missouri ended up getting 62 hung on them. They scored a little bit more, right, in, in response. But Shane Beamer said, after the game, I think this is a Sunday teleconference that that game very easily could have been, you know, 63 to nothing or something like that. And it could have been, it could have been. Um, So I do think it's indicative of something actually that Jaheem said during our interview with him earlier today, Wes, that the message from Beamer was just don't let that quarter define you. And so it was about, and we've said this multiple times this season, it was about as bad of a start as possible. We said it in the Tennessee game. I think we said it in the Troy game, how that first half – I mean, that was bad. Um, You look at the Georgia game, how it started. You look at the ECU game. Like, there have been so many bad starts. And I can't can't put my finger on why exactly that is, other than the offense obviously hasn't been good or consistent all year. The defensive issues, I think, had – you know, they kind of reared its ugly head, which was the concern coming into this game with the tempo and the way uh, that Tennessee played. Mm -hmm. But the guys, you know, they they did hunt, hang in there. They played better. I think it was just it got away from them very early. And going back to that goal line sequence, Wes, it was, you were texting me during the game. It was one of the best drives they've had all season. They were able to do largely what they wanted to do on that drive. They converted a third down or two. They ran it. They threw it. You get down there. The play before the Birch interception – they get in the diamond formation with the carry on joiner. It's like a zone read RPO. He might could have handed the ball off to Lloyd for a touchdown. It would have been close. He's got two tight ends wide open after the play fake. Runs it, gets stopped, then they throw the bur- So just a couple plays there where I understand the frustration of looking at it and going, can't you just run it in there? Or can you throw a pass? Or can you do I, I certainly understand that, but that was kind of a backbreaking play because then Tennessee goes and scores and it's 0 instead of fourteen to seven or twenty-one to seven even.
1: Fred uh, Cooper here with a question, Chris. I wanted to hit: um, Is it fair to have a measuring stick game or to have measuring stick games in the first year of a new coaching staff? Uh, great question, Fred. I I, I say yes, but I, I in no way am I like I I look at measuring stick game, Chris, as being like. How how far do you have to go as a program? Like th- this is still year one. And in no way am I saying it's like that you're judging to me, to me, we're not to the point of even judging this as Shane Beamer's program, like from a big picture standpoint. Like you're six games into a new regime. Um the, the issues that South Carolina had and has are not going to be fixed in half of a season. Like that's in my opinion, that's just the unfortunate reality of where it is as a program to me i looked at it as how far how far do, how far does this program have to go to take a step up within their division and and i will i will always i will always judge teams based on the division they're in because to me if you look at it like businesses, that that's the people you're directly competing with. That's the teams, that's the teams you play every single season. That's the teams that, are they going to make up your entire schedule? Obviously not. But if you get, I mean, look, look at the 11-2 seasons. South Carolina was consistently competing as the to be the best team in their division. And... Um, to me that that's where you're trying to get to me that's that's what this program's goal should be so how how far do you have to go uh, unfortunately the the first half sort of told the story that e- even with Tennessee having had a coaching changeover, over um they're, they're still further for South Carolina to go than there is for Tennessee right now
0: yeah, and, you know, there's a distinction between what you're saying, Wes, with a measuring stick game and, like, a must win. That's not what we mean, you know. And by, we,
1: you will never hear us
0: say must win. We way. don't do the must win. You know, so it's – we. well, here, I'll back up. There could be a scenario with, like, in the future for some coach where – you know, you get to a situation where they have to win a game to like save their job or something like you might see that and then it's a must. But from from a team standpoint, we're not going to say that and we're definitely not going to say it right now. So measuring stick is, is exactly what you said. Just where are you? And so the the scoreboard right indicates that right now they're still below Kentucky. They're still below Tennessee because that's what the scoreboard says. And I think we'll learn more the next few years. Can they make a move up? Can they win one of those games next season can they do it for a couple seasons in a row Kentucky to use them as an example West they've what is it seven of the past eight or something like that so when you're looking at which program is like better quote-unquote right now which one is higher in the pecking order it's definitely Kentucky because they've won more overall and they've won more of the head-to-heads it just kind of is what it is so right now South Carolina's still got work to do and when you look back at those days of the the 2010 through the 2013 years where they're consistently competing to be at the top of the division, you've got to be past Vandy, Missouri, Kentucky. You've got to be past those schools to be able to go catch a Georgia or a Florida to have a chance to do that. Those are the games that you have to go and win on a consistent basis. So uh, they're not there yet. And that was a question going into this season. Um, could they, how many of those Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky type games could they win? So far, the answer is none of them yet. And we'll see if they can do any – we'll see if they can get the Missouri one later this year or if they can go and uh, steal one from somebody.
1: No doubt, man. Um, I'll tell you what, b- before we forget, uh, Chris, you want to go ahead and uh, hit the the dead Soxie?
0: Let's, let's hit it for our man Ty. Ty was actually on the Jaheim Bell interview, Wes, presented by Firehouse Subs, our lunch with Jaheim Bell. Clamoring for Dead Soxy, even in that setting, Ty. Come on, man. No, it's okay. We, we can learn about Dead Soxy then, but I'll tell you about it now so that we don't miss it. Go head over to deadsoxy.com and check out their great line of men's and women's socks, buttery soft feel, patented no slip technology. And because they're partnered with us at GC Live and GamecockCentral.com, get 25% off your order with the promo code Cocky. Good stuff, as always,
1: Chris. Um, we appreciate Dead Soxie being a sponsor here on the show, and we appreciate all of you listeners and watchers and readers and and all that on Gamecock Central. I will say this: we had somebody on here earlier on the Facebook comments, Chris, saying we need to delete some some posts on GC. You know, and and our moderators do a fantastic job, in my opinion, on walking the line. We we want for GC to be a place. Where people can go and um, give their opinions on the game, give their opinions on the team. Now, it on on Saturday of a loss, does it become a bit of a vent space for people? Um, a- absolutely, and I, I can certainly understand. I think it was Brad on here earlier saying it gets too negative for me to want to be on there, and I, uh, you know, I understand that as well. So we are. I wanted to just not. Ignore you and acknowledge that we do try to walk that line between letting individual people express their opinions while also not letting it get completely overrun. And I, I think Chris, right now, three, three. It's been interesting to see the reaction to three and three because I, I think you're always kind of trying to figure out um, maybe where things stand with people. What's the What's a fair expectation for the program and for this team? Three and three. is do you, do you feel like for the average fan, that's about what they thought coming in with the average fan? I, I know, looking at the schedule, maybe the average fan was hoping to be at four and two right now. Mm-hmm. Because coming in, you thought maybe you could split Kentucky and Tennessee. I uh, I think but uh, for the most part um you know 3 and 3 maybe about what people thought Tennessee to me is a little bit better football team than I thought they were coming into the year and Kentucky is a better football team than I thought they were coming into the year to me that's maybe
0: been the difference right now well and, and that's where I'm at I think um not unreasonable either way like it's not unreasonable to say that 3 and 3 is an accept, not acceptable, but it's it's an understandable position for this team to be in, given the schedule. It's also not unreasonable to say, hey, they should be 4-2. and two. I, I'm with you. Tennessee, better than I thought. Kentucky, I actually had fairly high expectations for Kentucky this year, particularly after watching their first game or two, and it was evident they'd figured out some things offensively. Um, I came into the year thinking Kentucky – even though I actually picked the Gamecocks in that game because I thought some weird things would happen, like turnovers, which they did, and that South Carolina would be able to eke it out, which they didn't. Um, I did pick them to lose to Tennessee this week after seeing the way the start of the season began. Preseason, I probably would have picked Tennessee as a win for Carolina and the Kentucky game as a loss. Kind of ended up flip-flopping those. Um, So I think it's okay to say 4-2 and or 3-3. and I mean, either of those seem perfectly reasonable you know, to me coming into this year. Um, Kentucky, they've done a great job, undefeated. Tennessee, they've been better. They have squeezed some production out of the defense. And then offensively, they've certainly been pretty explosive the past couple weeks. Um, You know, I I think, Wes, the large portion from what I'm picking up, and and just looping some of my own opinion in there, the reason for the frustration is kind of how some of this has happened. You know, you have an opportunity at Kentucky with all the times the ball goes on the ground, all the turnovers. You get it in your own territory and you just can't come away with any points. That's the source of frustration. Tennessee getting down 35 to nothing, the manner in which you lose that game. I think that's the biggest point of frustration. And I'll go back to this point that we have made several times. Looking at the special teams, which has the same personnel as the rest of the team and seeing the PFF hasn't ranked as the top special teams in the country right now, according to their grades, and seeing kind of the scheme and the development there, looking at the defense, and although they've been exposed, as we kind of expected and and pointed to before this Tennessee game, they have smoke and mirrored their way into probably better than expected production in some games, right? But then you look at the offense, and although it's not – you know, are there some talent issues at spots? Yeah. But you look at this group of tight ends, you look at the O line, you look at the running backs, some of the receiver progression individually, and you just can't shake the feeling that they should be better than what we've seen on the field. And I think that's largely what people are more, most frustrated about.
1: You know, and I, I think, Chris, um, the interesting thing, an interesting thing about this to me is watching Tennessee on Saturday and the approach on offense versus uh just c- compared to the approach on offense for South Carolina and w- what what is the best way to go about installing a new offensive scheme in the college game you know I, I think that um Tennessee's offense they they take an approach where i i don't think it's an incredibly complicated scheme based on what i saw um it looks to me like, first and foremost, if you give them what what Beamer and I, I hear a lot of other coaches call the easy access throws, essentially that means pretty much any run call is going to have something tagged to it uh, to the outside, uh, some type of like basically a little quick hitch or a lot of times a, a receiver screen. They have all these little different screens, quick outs that they'll run out there. And every run call, for the most part, seems to have those tagged to it quarterback has the ability without even changing the play to just flick the ball out there. And, uh, you know, I I thought Beamer acknowledged on the Sunday teleconference, he said that there were times when our defense was too far back. It was too loose on the perimeter and uh, they gave them some of those easy access throws. So to me, Tennessee's offense is built on, Hey, if that's there, take the easy completion if that's not there, then it, it gets down to finding the, the best run situation, whether it's handing the ball off or, in this case, with a big physical quarterback who can run, you have that added element as well. So th- starting right off, there's a nice little base of things to work with here if you're Tennessee. But to me, Chris, they take the approach of let's simplify let's Let's have something that the players are going to be able to learn pretty quickly and it's going to be very explosive. Now, some of that is is players. It it is. But some of that is just that That was what you decided to go with. Now, the the negative side of sort of having a simplified offense is that, in my opinion, Chris, this is a very much kind of a one-note offense. Sorry, Siri keeps trying to uh, listen to what I'm saying, I guess. But I'll start over. Tennessee is a very one-note offense in that all that stuff I'm talking about works incredibly well when they add in the tempo element and the fact that they don't substitute. So that gives you – you know, South Carolina didn't have a ton of depth anyway. Even if they did, you don't have the opportunities to sub guys in because they don't substitute. They're right back on the line of scrimmage. Now, what do we see? When South Carolina, A, took away the easy access throws, B – Tennessee was slowing things down, trying to play the scoreboard. They come back down to earth. Um, That defense or or that offense, when they play a really good defense, um, a defense that has great corners on the outside and can come up and take away some of the RPO stuff and a defensive line that beats them up front. There are going to be times when this Tennessee offense looks awful, in, in my opinion. So, in theory, South Carolina has a much more complex scheme. In theory, if the guys are in it for a long time and are comfortable, you will have answers for everything. It doesn't matter what your opponent's doing. It doesn't matter um, if you need to play the clock. It doesn't matter if you want to go tempo. It doesn't matter if your opponent's zone heavy, if your opponent's got great cor- what – you're going to have an answer schematically for anything, any situation. But – it takes longer, in my opinion, to get everybody comfortable in a more pro style system. And you have to make you have to have the players that fit it, um, really from top to bottom. You know, from quarterback to skill to running back to offensive. You, you have to be able to execute it. So, to me, is, is one right and one wrong? No, but it is two very different approaches. And in my opinion, that's why, like we've seen the Tennessee offense. It was a little bit slow at the beginning. Once they found a quarterback uh, at the beginning of the season, I mean, once they found a quarterback who could do it, it's taken off. Uh, now there are going to be times when Tennessee probably gets run out of the building because they run in the line of scrimmage and, and quickly go three and out. And, and then you see the backside. So there's positives and negatives to every scheme is what I'm getting at. But right now, Tennessee and South Carolina cho- chose very different approaches to their offense and what they want to be on offense.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the the identity word, very different. And so, you know, Tennessee is easier to execute for sure. And it does help. I mean, look, you talked about those easy access throws. That's one of the adjustments I think South Carolina made. They dealt with those perimeter throws better in the second half. The first half was kind of head-scratching because they ran this play several times, Wes. Tennessee would have a couple receivers out, say, to the right. South Carolina was not uh, not always soft west on the outside corners. That's what a lot of people thought. Sometimes they were. More often than not, they were pretty soft on the slot guy. And so, for example, you'd have your Will linebacker playing kind of in the slot, almost still more in the box, and the slot receivers basically uncovered head up and they would just run a little concept where the slot would run out towards the sideline. Uh, the outside receiver would run up the field. The corner would follow, and now you've automatically got – now it's just a numbers game. You're, you're already outnumbered. The, uh, the receiver's run up the field, so he's 12 yards up the field, 15 yards up the field. Now he's able to get a block on, and the Will linebacker's having to run from his spot laterally to the sideline and try to chase a slot receiver out there and go make the tackle so those were the types of easy throws we saw then Hendon Hooker's ability to run and the inside run game for Tennessee combined with the tempo got South Carolina's eyes out of sorts at times and that's when we saw you know a couple those longer touchdown passes you know the one they ran a, a, a good concept Tennessee did that got the uh, corner or the nickel and the safety kind of conflicted. They had to pass off some things. There are communication issues for South Carolina with passing off routes. And not all the way, but largely, I think they were able to get some of those things corrected by the time the game rolled around, or at least they were able to improve by the time the second half rolled around. But, you know, too little, too late at that point. One point that I made, Wes, in the insider report today was you kind of look at you know, defensively, it looks like South Carolina has been able to have their players execute what the coaching staff is asking of them, right? Um, there there are some problems there. We know that. Special team standpoint, they have. Offensively, they haven't executed, whether it's penalties, missed assignments, whatever it may be. And so there, there has to be something there, some reason why the players aren't executing as much. And I think part of it is probably what you're talking about with they're just being more thrown at them. Maybe there's thinking involved. Maybe they're not able to play as fast. Some of it's just straight up mistakes, but there's no doubt that that's the side of the ball. That's not executing as well right now. Yeah. Let's um let's talk
1: a little bit about the special teams, man. Um, we can, you can only say so much about the offense at, at some point, you know, Um Sorry, y'all. I'm watching the Braves too. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I got the game on. Um, but the you, you can you can only say so much about. But we can only repeat ourselves so many times about the offense execution has to get better. It's a variety of reasons. Blah blah blah. As I said earlier, running game finally showed some signs of life. Uh, still didn't necessarily result in a bunch more plays. The uh, the decision though by Shane Beamer, not that it's a surprise considering uh, you know. Beamer ball, we all know what that is. But to sort of go all in on the special teams side, hire Pete Limbo, who um, you you quickly learn not not that not that many like not that your casual fan or even your um, hardcore media person is following the best special teams you know in the country, the best special teams coaches in the country every year. Not going to even lie and say we did. But once you look at Pete Limbo's track record, you quickly see every single place this guy has been, the special teams make massive improvements once he puts his stamp on them. So the decision to go get Pete Limbo, but also, Chris, the decision to put Limbo as coordinator only, whereas, some, some coaches have you noticed some coaches talk out of both sides of their mouth on special teams they're like oh we there's never been a coach on the planet that has said we de-emphasize special teams around here <laughs> that's right they're always like always oh, spend all this time on special teams we mm-hmm. spend all this time on special teams well who's your special teams coordinator oh well um you know our linebackers coach helps with this and our D, our dl coach okay exactly. South Carolina has a true special teams coordinator. That's his job. Are the other coaches involved in that stuff logistically in practice? Absolutely. But it's at the direction of one person. And someone, as Jaheim Bell told us earlier today, Chris, is very, very detail-oriented and has no problem letting it be known when it's not done the way he wants it, which is probably why he's so successful. But South Carolina's special teams right now, um, on the espn fpi efficiency they're there's top 25 they're 24th in the country um so comparatively to the offense and defense by far the best unit and as chris pointed out earlier you said on Pff they're tops in the country um yep. what what have you what have you seen from these special teams units man
0: Well, and so for more context, PFF has them number one in the country in terms of the overall grade. So PFF assigns grades to individual players and also to positional units, um, you know, throughout the country in college football. And so South Carolina is number one. They have a ninety-one point one grade. Auburn actually number two at ninety point seven. So that's their, you know, their highest graded unit, of course, by far at South Carolina by a good margin, and. I think the, the detail-oriented thing is the biggest thing you see. You know, with uh, with Pete Lumbo, that's something that we heard on him as soon as he got to South Carolina. People would use terms like that, meticulous, detail-oriented. He's a very sharp guy. You can tell he loves special teams. You know, watch any of his media opportunities. Uh, he, he's all about it. Uh, what did Jaheim say? It was his. What did he say? Like it was his baby or something like that. His child, I think, is what he said. It's yeah. just very important to him, and and. You know Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo. They they definitely put their money where their, where their mouth is in terms of um, you know just actually emphasizing special teams, not just saying it as a press conference soundbite. So what what you what I've actually observed Wes is look I, I said it earlier, these are the same players that play offense and defense. You know and sometimes they do play some starters on special teams. Nick Muse is one that comes to mind. They also play some backups on special teams. Uh, Peyton Mangrum is one of them, and he made the big you know, catch on the touchdown fake punt. But Limbo is just so good at seeing, um, you know, just schematic things that other teams are doing. Uh, For instance, they noticed that Tennessee's, you know, one of their special teams players, they're inconsistent covering covering the Gunners. So he's just basically a Tennessee player just kind of looking in the backfield and lets the Gunner run right by him. Well, we got an opportunity to throw the ball. We heard about uh, the Troy game the the punt block in that game, how uh, Pete Limbo just basically kind of drew it up in the dirt, you know, during that game. Uh, I think at halftime, right, we saw the punt box against EIU. So, and we've seen some big returns also sprung, and some and some near misses on some of the returns. So, he's just really good at identifying schematic things, and he's just so meticulous in how he prepares the special teams that they're able to go out and execute those things. And it's a uh, it's certainly been eye popping, you know, statistically, but even just the eye test, seeing how improved that group is. Well, dude, I,
1: I I dare say not not that you can expect as a fan for the special teams to make some massive play um, every single game. That's not realistic, but I dare say you're you're going to go into about every game where Limbo has probably found some little, you know, inconsistency from your opponent, some little, you know, maybe some guy bells out too quick on, on a kickoff return, and you you think you have an opportunity to hit the surprise onside kick or something. Does that mean you're going to call it every time? No. Does that mean it's going to work every time? No. But you go into the game knowing you maybe have that in your back pocket, and, you know, I, I think it gives you um, some confidence. It gives you a nice little um opportunity for your team to 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 find to steal a big play. I think you're still you're still in a play when it when you're doing something like that on special teams. And um, you know, Chris, I I think sooner rather than later we're gonna see a Juju McDowell kick off return for touchdown as well because there have been not that you get to return kicks near as much as you used to, because most of them are touchbacks, but there have been several already where I have felt you could just y'all, – y'all know that little feeling when you see a kickoff open up and you're like, if there's one more block, it's probably a score. That's happened at least twice uh, that I can remember off the top of my head. So look out for that. I, I think Juju will get a kickoff return this year. But the fact that they've done what they have on special teams, the, the three pick sixes on defense as well um, – those are, if you want to talk about identity um, of a program, the, you know that that is part of the DNA. I think of this program right now that that Beamer has tried to instill, and um, will probably be something they're able to lean on uh, moving forward.
0: Yeah, it is, and you know, obviously, one of the things that there's been this kind of argument among the Gamecock fan base about what the root causes of some of the issues, and I think largely. We all knew or should have known that there would be issues this season, right? Because that's when we, we talk about things like what did you think the record would be coming in? The final record, what would the record be through six games? If you said six and oh, your expectations were way off. You know, if you said five and one, your expectations were way off. But if you were in that three and three or four and two range, this is kind of what you should expect. Again, I think once it actually happens, that, you know, is when people get upset. You know, because you've actually seen the product and, and you still get upset about it. And that's understandable. It's, it's one thing to talk about being three and three and saying, hey, if they're three and three, that's understandable. But then when it actually happens, that means something has gone wrong to get you to that point because you've lost three games. So I, I don't know, man. It, it's um it's a complex issue. But I think there's been this kind of argument this year about is it talent? Is it coaching is it a mix of all the things look i do think you look at the defense and the special teams and that's precisely what beamer wants to be in terms of taking you know takeaways big defensive plays and then being really sound and making big plays on special teams as well we've seen some signs of that they do go have they have to go recruit they got to get better on the back end they got to get better at linebacker demani staley played every snap again in this game 72 snaps they got to develop some depth there this season and then going forward after this year. Um, and they got to fix the offense. But there have been some signs of identity wise, you know, what they want the program to be about. Um, you have seen some of that.
1: Yeah. They got to keep building depth at linebacker, man. We, you know, we thought going in that might be an issue against Tennessee with what they do on offense. Um, you know, I, I think it was. I think it played out that way. And, and that's really no, no fault of the guys that that are playing there. I I think they just, they got to find more depth there. Um, You know, it's it's not really Damani's fault. He's having to play every single snap at at this point. Um, Played a ton of snaps down the stretch last year as well after injuries at that position. So um, we'll see if they can continue to build that. There is nothing. And we'll talk about South Carolina Vanderbilt all week long, as we do every week. There's nothing this program could use more, Chris, than a blowout victory over the Commodores this weekend um no doubt in my mind they they could use the the in-house just the the boost your locker room gets from winning a game by a decent amount and being able to get some other guys in the game um by the way I will say this we just talked about special teams shout out to Kai Kroger for that throw and uh and Peyton mangram walk on kid in state. They, they they really like that kid. Like, you can tell they really like Peyton Mangrum. Um, good for him, man. Seems to do everything the right way and is a really rock-solid walk-on player within this program.
0: That Peyton Mangrum, you know, I covered him in, in high school some uh, and kind of followed his recruiting and him not getting... This is a kid that went so under-recruited, and I mean even from a small school perspective. Like, we're sitting around going, why aren't a bunch of FCS schools all over this kid and they really weren't. And he, he, you know, up at East side in the upstate, he was super productive, uh, a great student. He just did everything the right way. And, you know, I guess I would ask so many people, I mean, what's kind of wrong quote unquote with, with Peyton Mangrum. Why is he not getting more looks? And the only thing you'd ever hear is, well, maybe he's a little undersized or maybe he's a, not a four, four kid or something like that, but all he did is, is produce. And so yeah, he's he's a guy that has drawn plenty of shout outs from the coaches, his work on the scout team, his work on special teams. So that was really that was awesome to see for sure. And he's a guy that I think uh, can continue to see his role increase uh, over time during his Gamecock career.
1: Yeah, well, we'll certainly wish him luck, man, has done everything the right way so far by all uh, by everything you hear. Um so, yeah, I think that's going to about do it for today. I don't know what else we got to add. By the way, this is, Chris, the – what do they call it? The teacher appreciation – Gamecock football teacher appreciation day, Saturday, October 16th, versus Vanderbilt. Um, I I understand. i got to work out the details. We're going to have some of our good buddies on the show later this week, Chris. Um, I haven't even told you this yet, but – uh, we're going to have Preston Thorne and Langston Moore on at some point. They are involved. Obviously, um, you know, th- their books are awesome. They are always involved in um, both showing love to teachers and in promoting literacy and reading and, and stuff like that among young people. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk to the two of them. I believe there may be a teacher tailgate um, at the game if teachers want to go to. Um my mom is a teacher. I have several teachers in my family. Um, that will be cool to have them on, and certainly we appreciate all of the teachers for everything they've done for us and, and do for uh, students out there. So we'll have more details from Langston and Preston later this week on the show that will uh, give you some information. I think the tickets, if this is still active, if they can get in the game for 30 bucks, um, which is a good deal. Chris, I saw somebody. Not, I'm not going to pick on. I'm not going to say their name. I saw somebody on Twitter, um, complaining. Imagine that. Uh, complaining that how how dare y'all put the homecoming game the same weekend as the fair? And I lost my parking spot in the fairgrounds. And. All right. First of all, much like me complaining about this playoff game being at one o'clock instead of this evening, I'll put this on myself. First world problems. Like Definitely. If that's if that's the biggest problem we got right now. Then things are pretty pretty good. Doing all right. But guys, girls, it go go enjoy. Like there, there are other places to park around the stadium. And hopefully it'll be a beautiful day. The weather this season has been fantastic. The fair is always fun to take your kids. It's an afternoon game, so it's not too early. It's not too late. And South Carolina is going to get a win on Saturday. So go out there. Enjoy the game. Park somewhere different. Tailgate. You can even come say what's up to me and Chris. We'll hand you a beverage. Um... Go out, take the fam, and enjoy the experience because we only get seven of these a year. So that that's my that's not to anyone that's even on GC Live. I don't even I don't even know. I'm just getting that off my chest. It just I was like, what? Why? Why are why are we complaining about this?
0: So yeah, I mean, anyway. we're, we're we're halfway through the football season. I mean, we all wanted kind of a regular football season, and so wins or losses aside, it's here. Yeah, I'm I'm pumped about the fair, man. It'll be a great opportunity. If you have lost your parking spot in the fairgrounds, become a Gamecock Central subscriber. Ask us about going to the Gamecock Central tailgate over there, or call our guys at Carolina Haven. They got per game uh, passes that you can go get. They're not expensive, and it's an awesome facility. So do either one of those things. Come holler at us. It'll be a great time.
1: It will be all right. For Chris, I'm Wes. Um, Craig says for me to go watch the Braves. That's what I'm gonna do. That's what I'm gonna do right now. Bobby uh, asks, are the Braves winning? Not yet. They have runners on first and second with nobody out in the bottom of the fifth. So enjoyed it as always. uh, Shout out to T Thompson's wife, who is the district teacher of the year Will be honored at the game. Hey, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, T enjoy the game. That's awesome. Congrats to your wife. Um, And uh, appreciate everybody again on here for supporting as always. And we appreciate our buddy Jaheim Bell for uh, for being on earlier for our, our firehouse lunch with Jaheim. So we'll see you all on Tuesday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.